A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning to you. Hoping we find you all in good form on this Tuesday morning. John Paul taking your calls 1850-333-103. A reminder to you that Edel is the artist you are looking out for. Edel is the superstar of the day today. At some stage, we will play two songs back to back by Edel. When you hear the second song, you need to get dialing 1850-333-103 uh, to win five Euro. We had our first 500 euro winner yesterday. We're giving away 5,000 euro in total as part of the C103 Cash Tracks with uh, Kavanaugh. So your chance to win today. Listening out for Adele at some stage. Keep a listen. You could be winning that €500, Euro, which is a nice win indeed. Now on the programme today, uh, we're going to be remembering the sixth anniversary of what was at the time a very moving state apology by the then Taoiseach Enda Kenny to the survivors of the Magdalene Laundry. And I think what added to the sense of occasion and what added to the apology that day was the fact that some of those ladies, some of the Magdalene survivors were actually in the gallery at Leinster House to actually hear the shock of the day, you know, look at them and apologise uh, to them. And, you know, there was the sense and the feeling that this country has moved on. We've learned lessons uh, from the past. It was a very dark past and the hope and the belief that, would, that this, this can and will never happen again, what happened to those ladies. And an acknowledgement, you know, that uh, we're sorry for what happened to you and an acknowledgement that it was wrong what happened to you and let's now look after you in your old age. And, you know, for the, because of the era of the when the Magdalene Laundries happened and the age of these women, they are elderly uh, ladies. So we've decided to try to find out what's happened six years on. How are they getting on with their lives? I mean, for some of them, you wonder, will they ever be able to get over the hurt caused to them and lives lost. I mean, they'll never get back the lives lost, but you'd like to think that in the autumn of their days that they're finding some kind of comfort and I hope that they're finding some kind of kindness. So we'll catch up on what's happened to some of the survivors of the Magdalene Laundries uh, today. We are going to go to Castletown Bear to discuss local concerns over the proposed new traffic arrangements for Castletown Bear. I think everyone will accept that work needs to be done in, in Castletown Bear. The, you know, it can be a bit of a bottleneck at times. There's a lot of extra traffic going into that area on roads that were really never designed to take the volume of traffic. There's business in the area uh, because of the fishing uh, industry. So there's big trucks uh, in that area and work needs to be done. So a traffic plan has been in place been talking about it now for well over a year but not everyone is 
least happy in that not all of the locals are happy with the plans that have been put before them and what's been agreed by the council and what's been agreed uh, by the engineers. And there's still a lot of local concerns. So we're going to hear some of those concerns today. And also, you know, we're willing to hear from people who are very much in favour of these plans, even though I was doing some research on it yesterday and just trying to remind myself of this whole story. Because I remember it was April of last year that, you know, people were invited in and there was public consultations and people were asked, you know, let, you know, let the... let the council, let the engineers know exactly what you were thinking. And I remember the engineers at the time stated that they had never seen such a response from the public to people wanting to voice their opinions, which is terrific. And and I suppose it shows the depth of feelings of the local people in Castletown Roach. But for every one positive submission that they received they got two negative ones so I mean that has to be taken on board and I suppose the hope is that people are being listened to you know when if somebody makes a submission and there's a lot of people saying the same thing then you hope that the powers that be will say okay we need to go back to the drawing board on this there are too many people unhappy about this particular plan what's wrong with it what can we do to make sure that everybody is happy and I know and I absolutely accept it is impossible to get 100% of people to agree but let's try to get the majority on board and at least if you've got the majority on board you would hope that the minority then uh, will eventually come on board so we're going to discuss that welcome thoughts and comments from people in the Castletown Bear area who are the ones obviously who are going to be most affected by these uh, plans we're going to chat with the young undercover journalist from the Times uh, Ireland edition who went undercover to try to investigate what abortion activists from America are hoping to do. They're trying to set up a branch of this particular group that's in America. It's a group that protest and campaign outside abortion clinics. Now, we're not going to have abortion clinics uh, in this country. What we're going to have will be GPs offering um, terminations in the very early stages. And obviously, we'll have hospitals that will be will be offering uh, terminations. So what this American group are trying to do, they're trying to tailor what they do to the Irish markets but what they're hoping is that they'll have people outside GP practices they'll have people outside maternity hospitals trying to intercept women that are going into the hospital or couples that are going into the hospital for a termination but really some of their tactics really need to be uh, questioned and this story broke yesterday in the Times and they've got a follow up on it today and it got a huge amount of reaction yesterday and a huge amount of reaction from our politicians so we'll speak with the undercover a journalist and one of the other journalists who's been working on this particular story. And then we are looking to try and find a family. We're we're searching for Private Ryan, the family of Private Ryan, who was a young soldier who went to war in the First World War and his medals have been found. they, They were discovered in the charity shop in Kalekill when they were going through items that had been handed in and in the jacket pocket were these two World War I medals. And I have to say, Skibbereen Heritage Centre have done a lot of work in trying to get as much information as they can about Private Ryan. And they've kind of gone as far as they can go and now they're trying to locate the family. So we're hoping by chatting about Private Ryan today and getting out as much information that we have, that somebody listening might 
it might ring alarm bells and it could be somebody's grandfather or granduncle or somebody might remember grandparents talking about a soldier that went to war because it would be lovely to reunite the family of the soldier to reunite them with the medals. So we'll talk about that on the programme today. And then Joe Heflin in the final hour of the programme is going to be talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And I know all of us at times will probably say, oh, I'm a little bit OCD about that. And I often think that we all have our own little kind of quirks in that you might like something done a certain way or you might like something tidied a certain way. I mean, one thing that I will, it's a joke in, in my house, the dishwasher and the way the dishwasher is stacked. I am, And I'm not alone on this. I know there's a lot of, whenever I talk about this with other people, I'll get other people to say that they know somebody who's exactly the same. I like my dishwasher stacked in a certain way. I like the small plates in one area, the large plates in another area. I even like the way the mugs go in. In a certain way. Am I a bit OCD about it? Absolutely. Because if somebody comes to my house and is kind enough after they've had their cup of coffee to pop it into the dishwasher, you can be guaranteed you've left my house and I've waved you goodbye and I'm straight back in if you've put the cup in the wrong place and then I'll put it in the part of the of the dishwasher where I like to have that particular mug. Is it a bit OCD? It is in a kind of a quirky kind of way and we might laugh and joke about that and that's all very well to laugh and joke about that but if you are living with OCD and you have it yourself or you're living with somebody who actually has obsessive compulsive disorder believe me it is absolutely nothing to joke about. So we're going to talk about that and if you've got a question about if about um, obsessive compulsive disorder maybe you think you might have it yourself or a family member get your question in and I will put it to Joe who will join us in the final of the programme and actually talking about World War One, which we'll be talking about when we're trying to trace the family of the medals that were found in Kalekill Charity Shop World War Two is getting a lot of mention in the in the papers today because one of the most iconic photographs, I suppose one of the most iconic photographs of the 20th century, but certainly one of the most iconic photographs symbolising the end of the Second World War was the photograph of the American soldier kissing the nurse. Well, the soldier in question is a guy by the name of George Mendoza uh, and he, 95, and he died this week. It seems he suffered a seizure in his home in Rhode Island where he's been living with his wife uh, for the last 70 years and his daughter broke the, no- broke the news that George Mendoza has passed away and the photograph that was taken on that day uh, uh, VJ Day 14th of August 1945 was the picture was of George Mendoza in his army uniform kissing Greta Zimmer Friedemann who was a dental assistant and she was in her white nurse's uniform on that day and of course VJ Day was the day that Japan surrendered to the US people spilled out onto the streets in New York and they were all celebrating the news and it was a kind of a party atmosphere on the streets so Mr Mendoza grabbed this young nurse planted a kiss uh, on her the photograph it was a moment in time it was uh, taken by a, a photographer Alfred Alfred Eisenheld and it was first published in Life magazine and as I say it became one of the most 
famous photographs of the 20th century. I mean, it was known as VJ Day in Times Square, but most people would see that photograph and just refer to it as uh, the kiss. So the gentleman in question now has passed away. The nurse herself died in 2006. She lived to be a ripe old age as well. She lived to be uh, 92. So that's just a very iconic photograph from the Second World War. 1850 333 103. Lines open.
book down from the refugee camp. That's music from the Fujis on C103. And that is a song called Killing Me Softly. Jim and Clonic Hilty reacting to the all oh, the Private Ryan medals that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. These are the World War One medals that have been found. Charity shop in Kale Kill. And they're now trying to track the family. If there's any ancestors of Private Ryan still living, they'd love to give the medals to the family. Jim says, if they take the numbers off the medals, because all of those every one of those medals they have numbers running along the edge the outside of it and feed it into a computer they'll get all the information that they need Jim said I came across medals before I went to an open day in the library in the city on the Grand Parade and the guy there went on to a site commemorating World War One. Uh, they inputted all the information and he was able to give me the address who uh, the medals had been awarded to from the numbers of the medals and actually we're going to be talking with Skibbereen Heritage uh, Centre they've done a lot of work they've actually tracked down a lot of information but now they've come a cropper they just don't know who the family of the person uh, is obviously the I don't know if they if they had an original home address whether they would have got that information or not but they certainly seem to have a lot of information about his military records it's the family if there's any ancestors of that private Ryan left who the Skibbereen Heritage Centre are trying to uh, track down. And a WhatsApp in when I mentioned the Magdalene Laundries, which we're going to be talking about, is coming up uh, next. Texter says, Patricia, I'm only 62 years of age and I'm not old. I was only 14 when the powers that be put me into one of those Magdalene Laundries. So please don't say that this is all about old people. I think what the government gave us was not enough for us to get on with our lives. So I have not gotten on with my life. I wasn't even invited last year to the President's house. So I am not thought about anymore. Isn't that so sad? And my apologies. You you are right when I was talking about the ladies I was, t- I was talking uh, about were the ones I've come in contact with or the ones I have read about are seen on TV and a lot of those are in their late 70s and into their 80s. But of course you are right. There are a younger co- a cohort of women who were also Magdalene, survivors of the Magdalene uh, laundries and it's so sad to see you put put on your your text that you you know you haven't gotten on with your life and you, even with the the compensation the bit of compensation that you got it certainly wasn't uh, enough and nothing will ever repay you for what you uh, went uh, through. All we can hope for is that things will get better for you. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Let's take a break and let's come back where we will discuss more uh, the topic of the survivors of the Magdalene laundries. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Today, Tuesday, the nineteenth of February, marks the sixth anniversary of the historic state apology given by the then Taoiseach Enda Kenny to the survivors of Ireland's Magdalen Laundries. To chat about how some of these women are getting on six years later, I'm joined by Stephen O'Reardon of the Magdalen Survivors Together Group. Good morning to you, Stephen. Good morning, and you're you're welcome to the program. Firstly, take me back to this day in 2013. You were with some of the women that day. What, what are your memories of that day what, and what will be your abiding memories of that day? Yeah, I suppose the most, I suppose, biggest memory that I would have that day is when we went into the doll, the women that entered the doll with me that day, there was 25 Magdalene survivors, the vast majority of the public and anyone that we ever kind of dealt with in the initial stages felt that these women would never break down the barriers or jump over those obstacles of getting the state 
to ever listen to these women and let alone have their stories heard on a national or an international scale. And I always distinctly remember when we walked through the gates of Linster House and one of the women, women turned to me and said, you know what we'll do before we go in? We'll just take a moment, we'll bow our heads and we'll remember those women that have passed away. And if you ever had read the Irish Times article the next day, you would have seen an image where all the women had lined up and they'd bowed their heads for roughly about a minute and they entered the doll and I suppose they were ready for battle and they were ready to hear what they had fought for for all their lives. And I think during that time, because there was a flurry of excitement in one sense and there was different types of ministers and PDs kind of passing the women and they had met so a lot of those PDs and ministers over the years and they were as excited as the women were as excited and they were kind of ushered up into the uh, visitor's gallery and they had reserved seating um, for them there. And of course, they felt like superstars. They felt like, you know, they won the lotto. And yeah, they felt like VIPs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these think, were, let's be honest, these were women who were the lowest of the low in society. Yeah, I mean, effectively, when I met them as far back as 2006, I don't think any of them would have ever realised that they were going to go on this incredible journey where they would campaign, they would make a documentary, they would meet with the different influential like ministers or secretary generals that worked in different departments you know, over the next number of years. And as I say, they kind of broke down those barriers and they opened up opportunities that might not necessarily have ever been available to them in life. And I just always distinctly remember when Andy Kenny got up and obviously he went to apologise to the women and just you could hear the tears like just falling from their faces and just the quiet murmuring of kind of being upset but being happy at the same time. And once the speech then was over, like the entire doll just erupted in applause and stood up and applauded the women in the gallery. And I just always remember looking at them and they just, I suppose, sitting there in complete shock like that they had done this and that I suppose they had challenged what people thought was completely, I suppose, not possible to challenge. And I remember then we got a phone call from, it was drive time actually, RT drive time, and I was ushering women in their 60s, 70s and 80s down the stairs and I'd say they they never moved (laughs) (laughs) and we were trying to get out of the doll because RT news, as in the TV, were broadcasting and they were trying to hold the broadcast live so that they could get the women emerging from Linster House. So obviously there was that excitement, you know, building on top of that and we were trying to do the radio interviews and we were trying to come out of the doll and people were congratulating them and then we just stepped out onto the plinth and as we stepped out onto the plinth, each of the women grabbed each other's hands and just threw them aloft in the air and just started shouting, we did it, we did it. And then... Outside the gates of Linster House, you heard the world media saying to the women, step into the light, step into the light, we can't see you. And I just always remember, obviously I was extremely young, but I just remember standing there looking at these women and the irony of the world media telling these women to step into the light. And they didn't just step into the light, they completely blindsided, you know, that light. And they were so vibrant and radiant and happy and I suppose it was just a new day for them and they rewrote a history that many people thought was already written and forgotten about. Yeah and they they just they needed that acknowledgement uh, and they needed the apology. The apology was so important isn't Stephen? 
Absolutely, and I suppose if you think of it within the context of, in a sporting context, when the likes of Limerick won the All-Ireland in the hurling, and how much that meant to them, and the passion and the excitement that they put into that to achieve that goal, and all the community that got behind them. So if you think of that within the context of these women, and these women were constantly on the sideline, observing and looking at everybody else being successful, at everybody else being happy, at everybody else achieving you know, their goals, their dreams and their ambitions. And they're just standing there waiting for that day where they get to be the ones in the spotlight, but for the right reasons. And I'm sure like many of those women held on to that day where they were able to look back to say that they did it. And once they felt they had did it, and a lot of the women... Like, I've worked with 165 women up to this point, and um, 17 of those have passed away, and I know that maybe just under 10 of those passed away a couple of months after the state apology because I felt, I think they felt that they could finally let it go, and they waited for that moment. And are, are many of them getting on with their lives now? I suppose a lot of them would feel that since the apology and since the setting up of the redress scheme with John Quirk, which obviously he was tasked with putting a redress scheme or an ex gratia scheme in place to compensate and look after the needs of the women. And I would imagine a lot of the women found that process particularly difficult, even though it was supposed to be non-adversarial. So it was supposed to be, you know, if you go into a court that's very adversarial, people will pick up on things. They might uh, attack a certain point or, you know, they might look at a legal point in a certain way to argue it so that maybe you don't end up getting as much money as you might have been looking for or, or wanting or whatever. So it was set up or it was supposed to be set up that it was, I suppose, accessible to those women and that it was easy for those women. And I think a lot of them, if we're being honest and looking back at it now, found that particular experience extremely difficult and very hard to deal with the Department of Justice. Were they satisfied with the compensation they received? Not necessarily, if we're being honest. I suppose the the vast majority of women would have received under the average sum of €35,000. You would have, I think, two women that I am aware of that received €100,000. And if you think of it within the context that almost 800 women applied to the scheme and to date 680 of those have been paid 25 million and that's actually um i think the original estimate cost was 54 million to actually pay all the women that applied but 106 women for example were refused payment and then 17 women were deemed incapable or not i suppose able to manage their own affairs or to make their own decisions and therefore they have not received a payment and a lot of those women, for example, live in care. They live in nursing homes or they're residing in hospitals due to old age. And I suppose they really have nobody to turn to. They have nobody to ask for advice. They have nobody that they feel is independent of the system. And I suppose what I mean by that is they find themselves in a situation where they're still They're still in care. Yeah. And it's extremely difficult because... Like anything in life, you know, you make provisions, I suppose, when you come to a certain age and you start thinking of who you want to leave, you know, money to or, you know, certain items or materials to. And I think they find that extraordinarily difficult because they're not capable or 
they don't feel that they're able to independently go about. Is there an advocacy service that they could use, Stephen? Because I I would be very conscious that many of these women uh, may not have family to help them out. Yeah, so I, for example, in 2014, I contacted the Department of Justice and raised the matter um, with them in relation to 30 women that lived in different nursing homes or were residing in hospitals. And at the time, they effectively said that nothing could be done, that the women had to make an independent decision themselves as to who they wanted to, I suppose, work with and assist them. And I think the difficulty that I found is that because they were in care or because they were being looked after, we'll say, by the system, that the system didn't really want to work with you to achieve the best outcome for maybe some of the women. And that became extremely difficult because you're looking at wills, you're looking at these women opening up, for example, bank accounts, you're looking at these women receiving state pensions that they would never receive. And then many of these women would have, been, particularly the ones that would have lived all of their lives in, in institutions. Many of them came from industrial schools. They went into Magdalene yeah. laundries uh, and now they're ending up their days in either a nursing home or in, in a hospital. They've never lived independently. They don't even know how to do it. That's exactly it. And I suppose even... Within the context, we say someone visiting their nan or, the, or their granddad or whatever, a relative in a nursing home, they would be compost mentos and all that kind of stuff. And you would be confident that they can make independent decisions because you're familiar with who they are and the community might be familiar with who they are and all that kind of stuff. But suddenly when you have a person that doesn't necessarily have any connection to any relative and you're going in there as an independent person to try and assist those people, people obviously become sceptical as to what is happening and what's going on and why are these women filling out these forms? Why are they being asked to open up bank accounts? Why are they why are they suddenly being asked to make wills? Like for example, we know that there's hundred and fifteen women um living in care and we know that each of those women will receive a minimum of fifty thousand euro to a maximum of a hundred thousand euro, depending on the time they spent in the laundries. So their compensation net worth is 5,750,000 to a maximum of 11,500,000. And your fear and is that they don't have control over that money and, 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 I think and how it's spent. That's the fear, really. Because and why, why, what do you think can be done, Stephen? Well, we, we have addressed the issue, as I say, with the Department of Justice. We have addressed the issue with HICWA. So, for example, in 2017, uh, HICWA published a report in, in June 2017 in relation to one of the nursing homes that I would have dealt with some of the women in that home. And they said that the nursing home failed to effectively respond to the needs of frail and highly dependent residents and that a high standard of nursing care was not being provided to effectively manage their needs. And I think the irony of all of this is that the only thing was the exception to the rule was morning mass. And other than that, the residents had no activities planned for the rest of the And day. of course, these women would, it would be so vulnerable that they, they can't even choose their own nursing home, I take it. Well, that's exactly it. And I suppose the difficulty as well is that, as you would know yourself or people would know, is that if you're looking for a solicitor, you might have a friend, you might have somebody in the town, you might have somebody in your local community that would suggest, advise, guide or help you. Say, you know what, this one might be the best one. 
But what these women are finding is that they're not even, they don't even that yeah. opportunity. We got know? it when I mentioned you were coming on. We had a, a text in from a listener um, who rightly took me to task for saying all of the Magdalene survivors are now elderly uh, ladies because she's only sixty-two. Um, but right. she she was saying that um, she got her compensation, but felt that it wasn't enough, and uh, she's not able to get on with, with with her life. Is that would you? Is that fairly typical? Would you hear that from from other survivors? Yeah, I suppose. Like the vast majority of the women that I was dealt with, I suppose, felt that they received adequate compensation, but they would also say that no compensation would ever, you know, I suppose, remove the shame and the suffering that they had, you know, endured in those homes. There would be a certain percentage of women that felt that the compensation deal fell short of what they should have been offered, I suppose, day one, meaning that maybe physical or you know, um, the slave labour element of it, the actual work element of it wasn't really taken into account. And I know that, especially with the Ombudsman's office, for example, they've dealt with um, a number of women who've made complaints in relation to the Department of Justice where the Department of Justice seems to be falling on the side of the religious order. So to explain that, you would have a woman say that she entered in 78 and that might be in her little sheet of paper that she's given to show that she entered in 78. But there mightn't be an exit date. So the woman would come to the Department of Justice and say, well, I was there for five years. And they were like, but you couldn't have been there for five years because it doesn't show on your record. And then they said, well, you'll have to kind of prove this. You'll have to show this. So then the woman might go and write about her experience and she'd find that traumatic. And then she would submit that and they, she might mention, we'll say, nuns or certain times or experiences that she had. And the Department of Justice would go back to the religious order and they would ask them to go, was this nun here? Was that nun there? Did this nun do that? And they would say, oh no, that nun was never there. So then they'd say, well, the religious order is saying that this nun wasn't there. So if she wasn't there, you couldn't have been there at that time or you must have been in a different place because, you know, she was in another place. And they call into question... Well, timeline. So that's, suddenly, yeah, and for something that wasn't meant to be adversarial, that sounds very adversarial. Yeah, and I know distinctly, I remember working with one lady and I had to go into the Department of Justice with her and, I mean, she literally had to draw a map of the laundry and the building and explain the entire building God, um, to them and how she escaped from the laundry and where that road led and they checked the map to, to, they checked the map to make sure it correlates to what she's done. Unreal, unreal. All right, before we let you go, Marion Cantor says, well done to Stephen. He was one of the first to highlight the plight of these women. I remember being in the Glen Theatre in Bantir when Stephen launched his documentary. Oh, yeah. Another great woman who was there on the night no longer with us, uh, June Goulding Crotty, a yeah. light in the window. We think of her today. Yeah, June was great. Yeah, she's an extraordinary, uh, woman. extraordinary woman. All right, listen, Stephen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Stephen O'Reardon of the Magdalene Survivors Together Group. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. 
Last October, a revised transport study for Castletown Bear was described as a blueprint for the future development of the busy fishing port. Unfortunately, not all local people are in favour of the new traffic plan and a group called Castletown Bear Concerned Business Association was formed. Joining me, the chairperson of that group, uh, Finbar Harrington. Good morning to you, Finbar. Good morning. Uh, You're welcome. Now, following the public consultation, the engineers engaged by Cork County Council said at the time they'd never experienced such feedback. 233 written submissions. The majority were unsupportive. Why are so many people against this plan, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, Patricia, and I suppose, look, the, I'm delighted for the opportunity this morning to clarify a number of that. Um, I suppose w- one of the big things out there in the moment, Patricia, in the public is this perception that this group, the Concerned Business Association, is against the bypass or a relief road or the idea of it. So again, look, we have to be very clear on that. We are not against the relief road. We have consistently said the relief road must be built first before any of the rest of this transportation plan is even considered. But notwithstanding that, in Patricia, if and when the relief road is built, we still have four major concerns with the design of the plan. And I think the design of the plan is, is the crux here, is, is the real issue here. Like, for example, one of them is <clears throat> the main square. Like, the proposed plan is to build up a large public realm area in the main square of the town. You know, very similar to what was done in Bantry many years ago. And we all know the damage that did to the town centre of Bantry at the time. And then the, the continuous street passing, like the proposed plan is to build wide footpaths, some of them up to two and a half metres wide. Uh, this will remove street parking. It will make it impossible for retailers to trade. It will impact on the quality of life on the residents of the town. They'll be no longer able to park or access their home by car. And again, like it will do nothing for the traffic flow. Like, the direction of the traffic flow, Patricia, is key to the survival of Castletown Bear. Like the design of this proposed plan will not allow and does not allow traffic come through the town from the east to the west. In this plan, the only access to the town centre is from the west. So the it's, yeah, it's, going, the it's going to go one way, but it'll be west to east. <clears throat> west to east, yeah, Patricia. And, I suppose and, so. and your, your group are saying it should go the other, reverse it. Yeah, absolutely, Patricia, because look, the majority of the traffic comes from the east, whether it's local traffic from our room, from Irene's Orden, Adrigal or Lingara or even visitors to the area that are visiting the area. The majority of them come from the east. So the direction of the traffic flow is the lifeblood of the town. So again, we're being very reasonable here. And what we are saying is, you can make some of these streets one way to alleviate the traffic congestion, but the direction of the traffic must be from the east to the west, as has been the case for the past 100 years. And if it's a one-way... Okay, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that that was one of the written submissions that went into the engineers and went into Cork County Council, the people were saying it should be the other way. What, what, what answer did you get back and what was the reason for sticking with, the origin, with their original plan? Yeah, the, the, the bizarre thing about this, the, the majority of the submissions, even the positive ones to the plan, were conditional and this was one of the conditions about the traffic flow. And it is even, it is even a recommendation of the transport plan itself that the traffic be from east to west. But the design of the plan and the maps of the plan show the traffic coming from the west only. And like this will do untold damage to the town. Like anybody driving or is on the road or goes on holidays will know if you go on a bypass and you bypass the town, you're not going to come back into it. So is, the town di- is, is the town divided over this? No, absolutely not. But I think, to be honest, quite the opposite. I think this has unified the town 
in a massive way, like 90% of both the residents and retailers have these four concerns. And again, look, like we're not against progress. We want investment in the town, but we want investment in a plan that is good and fair for everybody across the town, both retailers okay. and residents. Okay, stay there because somebody who thinks it is a fair plan is Mark Golden, who is the owner of the Bear Coast Hotel and a member of the Castletown Bear Development Association. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. Uh, Mark, Patricia. you would disagree with Finbar and you were in favour of this plan. I, first of all, what I have to say is I'm not completely disagreeing with Finbar. But what I'm saying is we have tried to engage with Finbar's group over the last many months and we have received no engagement at all from this group. Every plan that is designed for every town will always have picking points and tweaking points. And the plan is there. ACOM consulted with people. Many submissions were sent in. And yes, there are many submissions who um, object to the plan, which, of course, we all agree on. But there are four sticking points. And I'm representing one group who is extremely happy to sit down and has reached out with an olive branch to Finbar's group to sit down and go through all these things. You know, you, you design a plan. This plan is going to be the future of Castletown Bear. And every town needs investment. And we're not saying no to investment. We, we embrace investment. The town needs investment. And the four sticking points, they can easily be trashed out. And nobody is objecting to which way the traffic goes in town. So it, it's not... And, Okay, so it's it's to, it's to get everybody around a table, and, absolutely, and, I mean, and singing from the one hymn sheet. Absolutely, I mean, we we live in a democratic state. Everybody has to sit down together and trash out the problems. And we have no problem in sitting down with with any group. Okay, Fimba, why why will your group not sit down with the Castletown Bear Development Association? <laughs> yeah, look, I suppose there's a number of reasons, Patricia. And again, look, we have. Well, to give, well give, give me one of them. Well, I suppose back back in the 1st of October, Patricia, this transportation plan was passed by the West Cork Municipal District Councillors and the CDA uh, put a post on their Facebook saying they were delighted this plan had passed. Uh, they were not having any more public meetings in relation to it. Uh, they were done as far as they were concerned. They were delighted and they were waiting for this plan to happen. So therefore, one would have to assume that they were fully supportive of this plan and of the design of the plan. And what's really disappointing here, Patricia, you know, is the level of deception and underhanded work that has gone on from the very beginning of the consultation process. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Right we're we're not going to get into deception or that. What we're trying to do is find a solution here, Fimber. Why would your group not at least sit down and, <coughs> and put your points, listen to the other side, listen to their points, and between the, the both the groups decide, well, look, this is compromised. This, is, this will work for the town. Yeah, well, I suppose, again, no, Patricia, I suppose, look, the, C- the CDA held a number of public meetings uh, during the consultation process, of which they said on numerous occasions, you know, they were neither for nor against this plan. They had nothing to do with the plan. Um, you know, they were merely facilitating the community and having meetings, you know. And, you know, maybe Mark might confirm this morning, you know, if that's still true, or, or have there some other uh, involvement in this plan. Mark? Patricia, I, I can wholeheartedly say we were just facilitators of, of this plan. From, from day one, all the studies were taken taken out by ACOM, which was on behalf of Cork County Council. 
And effectively, what we are trying to do is we're representing a community. So we're basically stating there was always an olive branch for communication. There is no issue. It's not our plan. It was never our plan. These things had to go forward so that funding would be secured in the future. And everything within these plans goes to Part A planning in the end. So it's not like they were final, decided plans. There's no point in scaremongering, which is what's being... And are there any plans for any further but public could meeting? I, could I just reply to that, Patricia, please? Because this is very important. Like that, What Mark has actually said, no, is actually not quite true because the CDE, the Castletown Bear Development Association, are named in the application form that Cork County Council has submitted under the Rural Regeneration Fund as a delivery partner of this plan. So if Mark is wondering why we won't meet, how can you meet somebody that won't be out front and tell you exactly what is going on? Like they are named as a delivery partner in this application. And what is really disappointing, Patricia, is the transportation plan was passed by the councillors on the 1st of October. The application was made before the end of September. And that and all is the transportation plan that was passed by the councillors. That is not the plan that was submitted with the application. In actual fact, it's a very, very different plan. It's actually much worse again than the one that was passed okay, by let, the Okay, let Mark, but, let Mark Patricia, back in. Patricia, yeah, I, yeah. I, have, I have only one point to make. There's a community involvement scheme, which is running the footpath from Topaz, or um, the, the petrol station, um, on, on the other side of town, which is now called Cir- Circle, Circle K. K. Yeah. That's a community involvement scheme where the CDA are putting funding with Cork County Council to run those footpaths from there into town. That's one segment of a, a general plan. So Finbar is stating that we are basically the, the, the mainstay behind this plan. We're not. We were facilitators from day one. And Finbar knows that. And everybody who was involved also knows that. So this whole... I just have an issue with this whole bandying down points and scaremongering situations. The fact remains, we, the CDA, are still extremely happy to sit down with his group at any stage. We have made okay. numerous attempts. Solicitor's letters. Were okay, and that's, and that's, I think, as well, and where we've, I'm way over in time. That's what's going to need to happen. We're not going to sort it here, but it certainly sounds like there, it's, a, it's a divided uh, community, which is which would sadden me greatly uh, from an area like Castletown Bear. But we'll leave it there. No doubt we will return to it again. But thank you both uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Finbar Harrington, uh, who joins us from the Castletown Bear Concerned Business Association and Mark Olden is a member of the Castletown Bear Development Association. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Skull Gardaí have been on to say that the refurbishment work carried out at Skull Garda Station is now completed and as of today Skull Garda Station is back in operation on Garda Shikona. I want to thank the local community for their patience while the work was being carried out but if you have to do any business with uh, Skull Gardaí you can pop into the Garda Station which is now once again open for business. Some reaction to our chat uh, about Castletown Bear and the new traffic plans and it gets getting a mixed reaction in Castletown Bear and in Mallow. Said if they go ahead with the work in Castletown Bear, I hope they don't make a mess of it. Look what has happened in Mallow. We got the wonderful plaza in inverted commas and now they've massive pots pots have started to arrive on the plaza. By, by the way, because we've had some calls in about those pots. They are like big massive flower pots and something that looks like the top of a toilet seat from photographs that I was seeing as well has been installed. We're going to get on to the council just and try to get the rationale and the logic behind those large 
pots that have been appearing in the plaza in Mallow and I'll get back to you on uh, that. Staying with Castle Tom Bear, a couple of texters in, no names on any of these. Somebody said, somebody talking sense at last, well done to Mark Golden and asking why doesn't Finbar's group sit down with Mark's group? And someone else says, well done to Finbar Harrington. This issue is completely dividing Castle Tom Bear. There has to be give on one side or the other. Brian has the business in Castle Town Bear and he's contacted us. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Patricia. Brian, you, you, Thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, you're very welcome. You don't agree with certain aspects of the project. Is this from a business point of view? Do you think it's going to affect your business? I do, Patricia. I think it's going to detrimentally affect my business. And you know, if you if you reduce a business's take take um, over, um, if you remove a business's um, funding, it can become very unsustainable very quick. And my fear is that my business will be put under pressure and my neighbours and the businesses of the town, a lot of them will be put under so much pressure that they will not be able to sustain themselves and their doors will close. We think that a lot of businesses in the Castle Timber will close. And this is, be- this is because parking spaces are going to disappear? Parking, sp- parking spaces fundamentally and law, which must come from east to west through the main street. They can go to the bypass if, if people don't want to come into town. They can go on the relief road or the bypass. That would be a two-way system. But for people that want to come into the main street and the square to do their business, they need to be able to access the main street and the square on the east side of the town. If they pass through on the bypass, they will not come back around again. What we are afraid of, uh, Patricia, is we've got to end up with a donut uh, concept, which has happened in America in a lot of towns where they've done this, where the centre dies and people start people that are still young and vibrant start moving out to and, and set up businesses a mile outside of town if they can get going in if they're young enough and if their businesses are viable enough, but that the centre eventually just dies away. And and what happens then is you get a lot of, of the lapidation and, 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 and you get what your lady in Mallow said, you get a lot of um, wear and tear and structures and places just don't look nice then after a while. And as regards what Mark said there, I was listening to your programme, I listened to it every day. Mark was on about tweaking this plan. Mm. Does Mark not realise that this plan now, the next stage of this plan is part eight? Which is? is nearly unknown. It is nearly unknown for a plan to go into part eight and to come out different from what it went in. We wanted this, and Mark said we haven't engaged with them. We engaged with them from last March until October. We thought we had them on the same page as us. We, there was a, a parking subcommittee of the CDA, which I was a member of, and so was Mark. And we had a submission. And that submission was a submission that suited everybody in the town. But yet the CDA broke ranks from their own parking subcommittee and are, are a, a delivery partner on this plan, a plan that bears no resemblance to the submission that the CDA's own parking subcommittee put in. So what is happening within the CDA is a lot of members of the CDA don't actually know the full story. There's only one or two know the full story. But is, is there a feeling that, that lo- is there a feeling, Brian, that local people are not being listened to? I mean, the very fact that 56 of the submissions that went in were categorised as unsupportive. Only 26 of the submissions were supportive. So for every submission that went in that was in agreement with the plan, two went in that were against the plan. Why is nobody listening to local people? 
So this is the failure of democracy, and, and, and it shouldn't fail. And I think, I think all this came on top of everybody very suddenly. And when the problem eventually hit, there seems to be no step back to step back and look. This has gone on too quick. Mistakes have been made. We'll step back. And I really think it's a, this is now for the management of Park County Council and the executive to say, look, we need to step back here. There's a compromise. And really why I rang yesterday was the Lord Mayor was on your programme speaking to you about his disappointment with the amount of funding received by Cork County Council from this... The rural development, yeah, fund, yeah. But, but, but see, the department are well aware now at this stage. We had this, this is documented in an answer to a parliamentary question that was presented by Michael Healy Ray. And it is well documented now that the department have one plan on their books which has major issues. And I w- I'm afraid, like, when this news broke that Cork County Council's funding didn't come in as expected, mm. first thing we thought of down here was there's a plan up in the department from Cork County Council which was highly compromised. And the, and, and, and the department now are probably looking at all the other projects that are very meritorious and that were funded by Cork County Council. And they probably have been um, slightly jaundiced in the department's viewpoint because Definitely a, a, an allocation of two million as against the projected six and a half million. Something radically went wrong inside with the inside with the department's viewpoint of what was happening with with these plans. And I think okay. our plan, I think our plan is the rotten, is the rotten apple. And the, and the, and, the and you are are you are you with Finbar when Mark Golden was saying, look, he was almost handing out an olive branch to say to say, please come sit down with us. Would you, would you not try and go down that route? But you see, why should we meet the CDA? We need to meet the, the Cork County Council Executive. We need to meet... The and are there any council plans council. to meet the Cork County Council Executive? We 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 have we met one member before, Chris Lucas. We met um, McDarrell who gave us a great hearing. We had a very constructive meeting with him before Christmas. I'm sure we will have more, hopefully with... Uh, with the, the West Cork uh, uh, manager, Claudia Hinnigan, we'll be hoping to have a meeting with her to trash out the, the, the problems. And um, and I, I'm sure this will be resolved. Yeah. But, but, but because but because CDA, a traffic CDA, plan CDA. is needed. Of course. Yeah. We, need a, we need a bypass. Yeah. We need one way systems. We, we need the traffic flow allowed from east to west. We don't need the big plaza on the, on the main square because it's, it's a seaside town it's a fishing town. We don't need the big plaza or the rain garden on the square. There's plenty of room inside next door in St. Peter's grounds for, for all that. And nobody has looked at that. We cannot afford the widening of the footpaths beyond the existing 1.2 metres because it's a fishing village like Kinsale. It's a narrow main street. And if you want to kill it, you can kill it very easily by putting in these very wide pedestrianised footpaths. What we need is we need ro- roll up and roll down for wheelchairs and you know the people at Castleton Bear. We are very amenable people. For we love to see visitors. We love to see people in wheelchairs. People in Castleton Bear are not going to roll over anybody in a wheelchair. Okay. We step in. 
All right. It's it's an issue. We will return to Brian in the meantime. We thank you for your contribution and uh, thanks thanks for our contact in the programme. 1850 333 103 and the amount of people from Mallow when they're hearing of a plaza being built in Castletown Bear and some people not happy with the plaza. People are saying tell them come up to Mallow if they want to see a plaza and a plaza that didn't work and we are getting calls in about the pots on the plaza. 2D in Mallow says Patricia those pots are awful. The, The pots on the plaza could have been car park spaces instead of pieces of sculpture on the plaza. Maria Mallow says those pots are so high on the plaza you nearly hit your head off them. And actually somebody last week contacted us and said they nearly crashed their car. They were so distracted by the pots that have been put on the plaza. We are contacting the council. Read the pots on the plaza. Uh, And for those living outside the Mallow area, pictures on our Facebook page later on this evening. John Paul is going to go off on a recce he's decided because he is um, getting so many calls in and he hasn't seen the pots yet so he's going to go off himself and he's going to take some pictures and he'll get them up on our Facebook page uh, a little bit later uh, on and in the meantime we're getting on to the council just to try to find out the rationale of who came up with the idea of the pots and what are they going to do with the pots and do they really need to be as big as they are they're great they're huge huge uh, pots 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls C103 Jobs in Chidani Island Lodging Spa and Clonakilty they've got vacancies for waiting and bar staff receptionists and a kitchen porter um, Fleming's 4x4 Bohabui, they've got a vacancy for a part-time bookkeeper, while a full-time supervisor is wanted for Albert Lynch's in Mallow, and apprenticed electricians and qualified electricians are wanted. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now an undercover investigation by the Times Ireland edition has exposed how American anti-abortion activists are planning to open a sister operation here targeting women trying to access GP clinics or hospitals offering terminations. Joining me Senior Ireland reporter Ellen Coyne and uh, also in a minute be speaking with the undercover reporter uh, Katie O'Neill but uh, Ellen Coyne joins me. Good morning to you Ellen. Good morning. Uh, now Ellen this, this group are called Sidewalk Advocates for Life. What do we know about this American organisation? So it's existed for about four or five years and what it does is hold demonstrations, not protests, outside abortion clinics where it uses a range of tactics, either offering you a free pregnancy test, a free ultrasound scan, using high visibility vests so they get mistaken for parking attendants, uh, trying to flyer you to get access to you when you're driving in your car and basically try to coax women away from the abortion clinic and into anti-abortion agencies instead where their kind of best case scenario is the woman will be talked out of the termination. Separately to that, their ultimate goal is to kind of basically shut down any facility offering abortion services at all. So they do that by targeting doctors in a range of ways, trying to talk them into, as they would put it, leaving the abortion industry. It's never existed in Europe before, though it's widely used across the United States. But our investigation revealed that it has set up with Gianna Care, which is an Irish anti-abortion group set up by activists from Youth Defence who uh, unsuccessfully campaigned to keep the Eighth Amendment last year. And obviously America is very different to Ireland in that they have abortion clinics. I mean, we won't and don't have abortion clinics. That's absolutely right. And that's something that our undercover reporter asked 
um, Sidewalk Advocates for Life when it offered us training as part of its plan to expand to Ireland. And we were told to use the tactic of flyering every single car that would go into your local hospital, saying things like, did you know that this facility here uh, harms women and kills babies? And then using that conversation as an opportunity to try and figure out if the woman going in was having an abortion. We were also instructed to pose undercover as a woman in a crisis pregnancy to use the national services, including maybe the, uh, the crisis pregnancy phone line, to pretend we were pregnant as a way of figuring out which GPs were offering abortion services so you'd know which local GP clinics to target. So a couple of, I suppose, slightly underhand tactics being employed by sidewalk advocates for life there. Okay, stay there and let me bring in uh, Katie O'Neill who went uh, undercover. Good morning to you, Katie. Good morning. Okay, what, what, what did you do? What did you let on to be in order to infiltrate this group? So our investigation began a few months back when we began exchanging emails with sidewalk advocates for life posing as activists in Ireland, hoping to become what they call sidewalk advocates. And so that eventually led to a Skype call, which was sort of like an interview slash training session with Sidewalk Advocates for Life, in which they talked me through the um, the tactics that they uh, recommend us deploying in Ireland to intercept women accessing termination of pregnancy services here. Then after the phone call, they approved me as an official sidewalk advocate and gave us access to the wealth of training information that they have for advocates, um, including training videos and a wealth of documents, um, including like there's a letter that. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They gave us to give to the landlords of GPs to persuade them to no longer lease to the GP, um, sort of threatening that there'll be demonstrations outside the building, which will dissuade business um, if they keep on uh, leasing to the GP, which provides uh, abortion services. And did they suggest to you, Katie, that you would recruit others and get to a stage where you would be outside every single GP practice that was offering terminations? They did, yeah. So they approved me to have a location in um, in Dublin, but they also asked uh, if I had any kind of sort of friends in, in the country that would be willing to launch their own uh, advocacy, advocacy services in different parts of the country. And um, so they already have a presence in Dublin through Gianna Care, but um, and they obviously approved us to, to launch um, a separate location here. 
But um, the ultimate aim, they say, is to have every abortion uh, facility, which they call it, so every GP clinic and every maternity hospital in the country to have sidewalk advocates out there every hour of business that they're open to intercept women who may be accessing termination of pregnancy services. Do you know if there's many recruits? Uh, as of yes, no, we just believe that it's the one, it's Gianna Care, um, but they said that they want to come to Ireland to train more, um, to, to, to do in-person training here, um, and that they're keen to have a number of Ireland vocations, uh, which is what they call them. And uh, Ellen, listening to what Katie is, is describing, if these, if these uh, sidewalk advocates set up a base here and started doing what they were asking Katie to do, is that illegal? No, it's not illegal um, and maybe some people will remember during the referendum a lot of people got really concerned when people were holding graphic imagery outside maternity hospitals as part of their campaign to keep the abortion law as it was. So at the time Simon Harris and the government had said that they would kind of look at what's called exclusion zones which basically sets out a distance maybe like 500 metres outside a GP clinic or hospital providing abortion services where people couldn't hold those demonstrations. But we've already seen in the wake of our investigation um, kind of the big anti-abortion lobby groups are already pressing very hard against plans to set out those exclusion zones. They claim it would be a breach of civil liberties, a breach of a person's right to protest. But I think the most important thing about our investigation, something that's very important to make clear, is this is not about protest. This isn't about anti-abortion activists holding up a sign saying, I'm against abortion. This is very a very, very proactive attempt to intercept women and try to make sure you can do whatever you can make sure that woman doesn't go ahead with a termination of pregnancy and refer her to an anti-abortion clinic instead. I think it's quite important that as this becomes uh, quite a big debate when the government tries to legislate for this, this isn't actually about protest. It's about active interception of women. And you're talking, Ellen, some of these women may have got a, like a diagnosis of fatal fetal abnormality. They're at a very vulnerable stage in their lives. That's right. And termination for medical reasons, who again, people might remember from the referendum, are people who have experienced fatal fetal abnormalities. They were kind of talking yesterday about that moment where you come out of the hospital or maybe you're going into the hospital possibly expecting bad news, going in for quite a scary scan, maybe coming out of the hospital after getting devastating news and not sure what you're about to do. And those people were saying, you know, in that hospital car park, that's not really the moment where you would want an anti-abortion activist in a high visibility vest coming up to you, effectively a stranger, questioning your choices, questioning the things that you're going to do, saying things like you don't want to carry around for the rest of your life, that you were the aggressor against your unborn child, and miracles can happen and doctors can be wrong. These people aren't trained medical professionals, they're anti-abortion activists. Um, and, you know, it is it is part of their strategy to try and target and identify those women. And Katie, in her undercover role, was told to look out for women around hospitals who might have tunnel vision or who might look upset or like they were having a row with their partner, because that would be a good way to identify women in that kind of devastating fatal fetal ever. My God, my God. And Katie, what was the blessings bag? Was it a blessing bag that you were told to hand out? Yeah, so that's part of their tactic, tactic in the States that they use. They, as Alan said, they fly her every car. So they want to approach, obviously we're not going to have standalone clinics in, here in Ireland, so they want to approach every single person going into a GP clinic or a maternity hospital. And then when they strike up a conversation with a the woman, they give her, uh, that they've identified my accessing termination of pregnancy services, they give her what they call a blessing bag. So these bags contain things like extensive chocolates and lipsticks, but stapled to the side of the bags are coupons for free pregnancy tests. 
and free sonograms. So the idea is to intercept the woman at the uh, at the clinic that she's entering and to get her to go to a anti-abortion clinic where she'll get advice not to terminate the pregnancy. So they'll be saying things like, oh, if you go into this clinic here, you're going to have to pay for a doctor's visit. Why don't you come down the road with me to this clinic where we can give you offer you free services? So that's a really key tactic um, is to take the woman from the uh the registered practitioner in the GP clinic or in the maternity hospital to uh, clinics, which in Ireland are unregulated only clinics, which receive funding from the HSE, uh, crisis pregnancy clinics, um, are regulated. The rest are not, and the advice that they give women are not. And in previous uh, investigations, by the times uh, these clinics have been exposed as giving women misleading advice, like uh, that abortion causes breast cancer and turns women into child abuse. They were telling, yeah, a, a, absolute lies. And I saw a piece, Katie, that you actually your writing about uh, today and I'm wondering are doctors around the country how they're reacting uh, to it the anti-abortion graffiti sprawled outside one um, doctor's practice in Longford at the weekend yeah, so that's a, a case that was flagged by a local councillor there. There was an anti-abortion graffiti scrawled across the door of the GP office in Longford and along the sides of the building. The building did end up opening uh, to, to patients yesterday, but um, the, the, the graffiti that was scrawled across the, the building, it, it contained quite personal uh, attacks on the GP there. Um, GPs in Ireland that are offering abortion services, they're not kind of publicly named, um, but you know the fears have been raised that people can use the My Options uh, Crisis Pregnancy Hotline to identify uh, which doctors are providing uh, termination of pregnancy services and to, to attack those or, or to pick it outside or to demonstrate uh, against those doctors and the locations that they're operating outside. So this might be a case of that. And Ellen, there was a lot of reaction, wasn't there, yesterday when you first broke this story in the uh, Times, including a lot of political reaction? That's right. Uh, Simon Harris was pretty quick yesterday to say that uh, the tactics uncovered by our investigations, he found them to be quite chilling and disturbing. And he was saying that he wants to move forward quite quickly with this uh, this exclusion zone law. But as you know, there's a lot going on for the government at the moment. Um, the soonest he could publish the draft law would be May, which would actually coincide with the anniversary of the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. But even at that rate, you'd be talking about before the end of the year at best, before this would actually be illegal. So what you're talking about is kind of a whole 12-month period there where anti-abortion activists would have unfettered access to women. And as your listeners will probably remember, we've had a few cases, even just in the four or five weeks where abortion has been legal, of people holding demonstrations outside hospitals, trying to get the uh, personal information of women accessing termination of pregnancy services, and some tactics of even posing as legitimate GP ultrasound services to try and get women into them. So uh, I suppose there will be a lot of concern particularly in areas where there is a high number of these anti-abortion activists about what can actually be done to stop them. But um, yes, there was a lot of political reaction and I think that there is a huge amount of cross-party support. I think you don't need to talk about a minority of two or three politicians in Leinster House who at the moment are against the exclusion zone law. Okay, all right. Uh, Listen, uh, girls, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, Ellen Coyne, who is the Ireland senior Ireland reporter and the undercover reporter uh, Katie O'Neill with the uh, Times uh, Ireland uh, edition. And there's more on the story uh, in today's paper, including uh, an interesting piece that in rural areas, and I'd, I'd appreciate a lot of our listeners are listening to us in rural areas. Uh, 35 pro choice groups have claimed that women living in rural areas are struggling to access abortion services. The group. Uh, 
um, all of which campaigned for the repeal of the 8th of actually written to Simon Harris expressing concern about parts of the country where doctors are not providing terminations. The government yesterday said there are now 274 GPs across Ireland who are willing to uh, pro- provide legal abortion services and that's up from the 164 who had said they would offer and signed up uh, by last December. Since the 1st of December abortion of course has been uh, illegal uh, in, you can go in the public health service up to 12 weeks you can go to your uh, GP but there is a problem now that there are some counties that have no GPs signed up for the services and other counties have limited provision as many GPs only provide uh, care to their current uh, patients and people living in rural areas where public transport is limited are being forced to travel long distances to access care and I imagine that that isn't only a conscientious objection issue on behalf of GPs we have that we have that problem of lack of GPs in rural areas and it is an issue that is only going to get worse with as more doctors retire there are less and less younger GPs particularly who want to move into rural areas so that's an issue that is only going to get worse not just for women who are trying to access termination but it's also going to be for anyone who's trying to access a doctor. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Skibbereen Heritage Centre are trying to reunite World War I medals with the family of the soldier who was awarded these medals over 100 years ago to discuss Finding Private Ryan's family. I'm joined, I love saying that, I'm joined by uh, Terry Carney, who is manager of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I, I couldn't believe when this, when this young soldier's name was, was Ryan and so we're talking about Private Ryan. OK, take me back and tell me how the medals were, were found. Kalekill Charity Shop, I'm Kale-Kill told. Kalekill Charity Shop. The good people in Kalekill Charity Shop came to me uh, about a week ago now, actually, Ed and Sarah, and they had the medals with them. And they came here because a few years ago we did a similar thing, but it was actually one of the so-called um, death pennies. It was somebody who had died during the war and there was no home for that medal, but we found a home for it subsequently. But anyway, Ed and Sarah brought these medals over and it seems that um, a volunteer at Kilkill Charity Shop, Steve Ross, had been going through some clothes there and there was an old tweed jacket and unfortunately, it wasn't good enough for resale, but he was putting it into a pile that they resell in any case for rags and so on. And he thought the jacket was a bit heavy. So when he checked the pockets, there were the two medals. And um, clearly, these people, you know, they're great. They didn't want to just put them up and sell them. They really thought, you know, well we want to have to find a home for these. So they brought them to me. And um, sorry, no way of finding out who dropped the bag in. No, no, no. Okay. It was amongst a whole crowd of other clothes, and they had no idea of the provenance okay. of the bag. So they they bought the medals to you at the Skibbereen uh, Heritage, Heritage Centre. That's it. Last last Friday, actually. So on the medals was um, P Ryan and his service number. Now I'm not an expert in this period, but f- fortunately we have a lot of very able volunteers here at Skibbereen mm. Heritage Centre, and one of them, Kevin Tomlinson, is very interested in World War memorials and so on. So Kevin is on his holidays down in Spain, but that didn't stop me contacting him and asking him <laughs> for a favour. So uh, poor Kevin down in Spain said, yeah, I'll help out. And he researched what he could find. And it turned out his name is Patrick Ryan. So we were able to put a first name to him. And he found what records he could. Um, and it seems he was a very early enlister. He enlisted in the 1st Battalion Royal Munster Fusiliers around 1914. 
and he was shipped off to the Balkans. Um, now, we don't know if he served in Gallipoli or not. Um, but there would have been around that time frame for Gallipoli. Exactly, yeah. he would have been. Yeah. Um, but he was certainly um, brought back. He, he may have been in the support base in Egypt as well. But his regiment is evacuated from Gallipoli and from Egypt in January 1916, and he was sent to the Western Front, where he did see active service. We know that. Um, on his records, he is cited for a military medal, but it wasn't awarded. So he did see active service and he did perform some act of bravery. Um, but subsequent to that, he was transferred to the Labour Corps. Now, we don't know why, but it could have been illness or recovery after wounds or whatever the reason. He was no longer considered fit for combat duties. And subsequently, he was dis- honourably discharged from the Labour Corps and came home to Ireland. Um, now, this is where it gets a bit funny, because this is unusual. He's home here with his life after seeing the horrors of the Western Front. And what does he do? He, go and re-enli- he goes and re-enlists. Now, that's unusual. It is very unusual. Um, in the Labour Corps again. Now, you think, oh, the Labour Corps, that's not active service. But it was still a very dangerous occupation because, you know, they were support to the main military. Yeah. They were doing gruesome jobs like digging up dead bodies that had been already buried to try and identify them. And the, his records show the, the battalion that he was in, or the regiment that he was in, quite a few of his colleagues were killed. So it wasn't, an, you know, a completely safe corps at the same time. And that's where we lose him. We know he survived because he came home. He isn't listed in the dead. Um, and these two medals are not unusual. They're standard service medals for yeah. servicemen who saw service in 1914 and 1915. But clearly, you know, they were very important to that man and they're evidence of him risking his life. And it's, uh, it would be really lovely to, to find them a home. Or to, and the idea was, hopefully, that it would jog someone's memory, that someone would know of a Patrick Ryan who had been in World War One. Do we have any indication of where he was, he was originally from? No, not yet. Ah, no, okay. No, no. So That's going to be the key, isn't it? it because is. um, no disrespect, Patrick Ryan uh, uh, is a fairly common name. But I suppose the fact that he re-enlisted, Patricia, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? That's going to be the unusual bit. Yeah, yeah. But the, but I mean, the, he may not even be from Cork. He may not even be from West Cork. I suppose not, but he probably spent time here if his clothing or the medals with his clothing in, or the clothing. Some family, clothing, or yeah. some family member yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. The so Munster Fusiliers, can they be of any help? We've written to them and okay. we're waiting for a response for them. And the idea is that we're just hoping that, as I said, it will jog someone's memory. A few years ago, as this is why these people came to me, um, a few years ago we had, um, as I said, a, a so-called death penny handed in here. Now, te- remind listeners what the death penny okay, is. Um, it's a very sad thing. They're memorial plaques. When people were killed during World War One. their family were sent these memorial plaques with dece- deceased names on them. Um, and they became known as the death penny. And the story behind this one was somebody had bought it in the UK. And when you died, there are better records. You know, you can... They found out that this man um, was from West Cork. And the man who found it and bought it wrote a letter to the Southern Star and said, anybody know this man? And a local lady who had a similar surname wrote to him and said... I don't think he's a, rel- he's a relative, but my name is da-da-da-da-da, and would you send me onboard details? And what did the man do? He sent, sent her on. on the plaque with no return address. Oh. 
So the lady brought it in to me here and I said, look, I'm sorry, you know, you didn't. she said, well, it's nothing to do with me and I'm leaving it with you. And off she went. So this little boy's memory, he, he died when he was 22, was here with me. So um, clearly you can't just leave that. So as a result of a lot of publicity and trying to find out, we eventually found out um, through local knowledge um, and another local historian that his uncle had been a vicar here locally in Asadown oh. Church. We couldn't find any family that were living, but he, he had lived with his uncle in Asadown when he was vicar at Asadown Church. Oh, my. So, yeah. So we finally found a place for him. That's like he was, he was coming home. Exactly. That's exactly it. And, and he was only 22 when he 22, died? 22, yeah. And it's just so sad to see that his medal travelled all over the place without a home. But it's now on display at St. Matthew's Church in, Cro- in Church Cross where his uncle would have well uh, been a vicar. Yeah, um, and, and I hate when I see those things go up on sale on those auction sites yeah, and oh, yeah, just, or when I see people yeah. selling on medals, I just yeah, think, oh, yeah. that's why when I heard about these medals, I was saying we've got to find the home uh, for these medals. So Ryan, would there be a lot of Ryans in the West Cork area? I suppose Ryan isn't the, the most popular uh, name in this area. You know, um, if, 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 if he was Patrick O'Sullivan, we wouldn't have any hope at all. <laughs> but we're hoping, Ryan, with the fact that he re-enlisted, that somebody yeah. will have local knowledge and that somebody, it'll jog somebody's memory somewhere. Strangely enough, actually, this morning I got an email from somebody who had visited here last year and his father has one of the memorial plaques. So he's now looking for us to find a home for that as well. So, you know... Somebody somewhere knows something about this Patrick Ryan and all we can do is our best to find a home for him. Yeah, and it's the and the fact that the bag was the bag handed in to Kale Kild, you it know. Was. To, it was, so yeah, okay. That would lead you to okay. give you it's, th- it's somebody it's somebody yeah. locally and it was an old jacket. It was an old tweed jacket that yeah. was so okay. Old that it was valued, it was deemed not to be So So, uh, we're talking about probably an older gentleman's coat, well worn, well used. So we're trying to jog somebody's memory who maybe had a clear out. In yes. a house, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. recently or yeah. in the last few months, and 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 as I said, if it was handed into Kilkill Charity Shop and fair dues to the people there who well done. didn't put it in the window and say, "Oh, look, we have a novelty item," they've gone to all this trouble to try and, and solve it. Um, you know, it's, it it must jog someone's memory. So. Thank you, Patricia, for publicising no it. Problem. So no really problem. hope that there will be. We're going to put any updates on the on, on the Skibreen Heritage Centre Facebook page and on the Kale Kill Charity Shop Facebook page. So hopefully somewhere somewhere someone will and come someone up with is something. suggesting. Could you put a picture of the jacket up on Facebook? Would that jog a memory? I don't the know. Jacket's if they kept gone, the jacket's gone. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It's an old, well-worn tweed jacket. An old, anyway, well-worn okay. tweed gentleman's jacket. Yeah. All right. Which okay. I well, they all would look pretty similar anyway. Keep yeah. in contact with us and if we hear anything we'll be on to you straight away we will Patricia and thank you very much thanks for a million bye bye, bye 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 uh, the lovely Terry Carney there who is the manager of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre as we all go in search of Private Ryan's family if anybody if it jogs the memory with anyone please uh, get on to us and we'll pass on your details to Skibbereen Heritage Centre because it would be true really really lovely to have these medals uh, reunited with the family of the now long, long deceased Private Patrick Ryan. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three lines open. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
and a little girl who I'm hoping is having a lot of fun today is Nadine Hayes who is celebrating her 8th birthday today and her dad Councillor Paul Hayes has sent me in an email reminding me of this day eight years ago when little Nadine was born. Now I'm told Nadine is on midterm break from school and she's at her granny's house today and there's a good chance that the radio's on in the background so hopefully it is. Happy birthday Nadine if you are listening to us but eight years ago on this day we were hosting a candidates debate for it in our studios in Bandon and one of the participants was Paul Hayes and I had said to all of the people taking part as I would do it in any kind of a, an arrangement like that where we're recording an interview and it was a debate you know like a round table debate I said to everybody make sure you have your mobile phones uh, turned off so everybody duly did and at the end of the debate uh, Paul Hayes switched back on his mobile phone with a frantic call from his wife to say she was in labour and he rushed out the door and and I remember for about a year after that if I was in, in any kind of a setting where there was men and we were asking people to switch off their mobile phones I would always make a point of looking around and if there was any men present who looked like they might have a wife of childbearing age I would say unless your wife is about to go into labour and I was getting the strangest looks it took me about a year to get over that because had he told us that his wife might go into labour that, that night we would have had somebody sitting with the phone he could have left the phone on outside. So happy birthday, uh, Nadine. Uh, I cannot believe where have those eight years gone. I hope you're having a lovely, lovely day. And I've been asked by somebody within the radio station to point out that it's Adele is the lady's name, not Edel, Adele. And, yeah, and I, I probably half the time will say Adele rather than Adele. So it's Adele is who you're listening out for. Adele is our superstar of the day. You're listening out for two tracks by Adele to win €500 today. It's part of the €5,000 we are giving away in the C103 cash uh, tracks. Two songs from Adele and you get dialing at 1850 Some of your calls and comments coming in to us. Traffic report in to say there's a road collision on the League side of Skibbereen and one lane is blocked as a result to try to avoid that while that accident is getting sorted out and please God uh, nobody has been injured there. That's on the League side of Skibbereen with one road uh, blocked. On ageism and this came up earlier on uh, when we were talking about the survivors of the Magdalene Laundries. Elena Mallis says, I agree with the texter, Patricia, who texted you earlier, picking you up on being ageist by saying somebody was older and she was making the point that she's only 62 and she's a Magdalene uh, survivor. Uh, Elaine said, we really have to stop and look when we start using the word older. She says, we're all guilty of it. We all say it and we all do it. We are all gone very ageist and age should not matter. It doesn't matter if somebody is 80 or 20. Everyone is at different stages of their life. But why do we have a tendency to make a big deal of age? Uh, Elaine says, I feel sometimes when people reach 60 or 70, some people feel they've nothing left to contribute to society, which is just so wrong. I think we need to forget about age and just live our lives. Good advice Elaine. Thank you for that. We were speaking about abortion and uh, termination and in particular we were talking about this undercover work that's gone on by the, the Times Ireland group and this group of from America called Sidewalk Advocates for Life who are an American group who in America uh, attempt to intercept women as they try to access abortion services and they're trying to set up a branch here in Ireland. And we were talking about that and talking with the young journalist who went undercover to infiltrate this particular group and find out more about the Miriam Alice. There's a lot of couples listening 
to this and to your programme this morning, Patricia, many of them, some of them, um, may be trying to have children and cannot for a whole variety of uh, different reasons. They, couples like that, particularly the women, find it very, very difficult to listen to interviews and to listen to words being bandied about like termination. So just we all need to stop and think when discussing the issue of abortion that there can't be people listening, that this can be um, a very upsetting word uh, to use. It can also be a very upsetting word, Mary, for anyone who's been through abortions. Some people, after having abortions, can find it very difficult to hear anybody talk about it or if you're talking about a fatal fetal abnormality because it can just bring them back to what they went through in a, at a very vulnerable time of their lives. And somebody very much defending the work of Sidewalk Advocates for Life and the work that they do, the fact that they're outside in America, outside abortion clinics, they're talking here about setting up outside doctor's offices and then setting up outside uh, maternity hospitals, trying to intercept and talk with women who it looks like who are going in to have a, an abortion or a termination whichever word you want to use, uh, somebody says, this is the exact moment that you need somebody to come along beside you and support you. Um, it's exactly at that moment that these women need support so they can see that they have support and they can be given advice rather than going in to end their child's life. Gina Care, which is the group that got mentioned, Gina Care are an anti-abortion crisis pregnancy agency that's already set up in this in this uh, country. Uh, Gina Care support women who are only terminating pregnancy because they feel unsupported, said this uh, listener. Uh, yeah, and I suppose somebody who is terminating a baby because they feel unsupported is must be a dreadful, dreadful place to be in, in your life, to feel that you've got nobody who can support you while you have this child. But then it's not very different to somebody who has been given the diagnosis of a fatal fetal abnormality. And if you're intercepting somebody who's going through that, you don't know when you intercept but yeah, where's the balance? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, thank you for your text. 1850 103. And someone else says, Leo Varadkar is great. He's intent on turning this country into a godless society at any price. Simon Harris will steamroll through legislation. To what end? Well, he'll steamroll through what he's hoping to steamroll, why he wants the legislation. You've used the, the term steamroll. He is trying to block these US anti-abortion activists from setting up here or if they do and, and I think he won't be able to stop them setting up I think they will I, I think they, they probably already are recruiting uh, a number of people because you know while abortion legislation was passed remember was it 700,000 people voted against it so there's a lot of people even though still it is now within legislation and women are legally entitled to terminate a baby in this country there will always be people who are against that and because of that you have people who will get involved in groups like this who will try and as that listener said they don't see it as, as intercepting they see it as trying to offer support to somebody who may be having a termination of pregnancy because the woman feels unsupported so Simon Harris is putting legislation in place to make sure that there will be an exclusion zone around GP practices that offer terminations are around maternity uh, hospitals. 1850 We were talking about World War I medals earlier on and trying to find Patrick, P- Private Patrick Ryan's family 
Uh, helping out Skibbereen Heritage Centre. Well, that's prompted Ross Garbury and District Historical Society to contact us to say they're planning to erect a World War One monument. The monument will show the names of people from the Ross Garbury District who died during World War One. They are now looking to hear from family or friends or anyone who has any information that can help them with that monument. So if you are from the Ross Garbury area, living in the Ross Garbury area or once lived in the Ross Garbury area and you have family members who died during World War One, can you contact with Ross Garbury and District Historical Society please I've got Kevin's phone number here it's 87 that's 87 and if Ross Garbury and District Historical Society can let us know how they're getting on with that work be really interested in talking to them particularly when they're ready to get that monument and launch that uh, monument let us know please keep us abreast with your plans we were talking about Castletown Bear and what's been going on in Castletown Bear with the traffic plans Donald says I support the town plan there there is only one way to solve any problem and that is for everyone to please come around the table and talk we need to get these now two very distinct groups in Castletown Bear and you're right, Donald, we need to get both of them around the table. How we're going to do that, though, I don't know. And then somebody else was on asking about the contractors that have been appointed and when the contractors have been appoint- appointed to the Castletown Bear traffic plan, were they in any way to do with the contractor who's building the National Children's Hospital? And I don't know where that point was coming from. No contractor has been appointed uh, yet as funding still hasn't been allocated. Cork County Council made an application to the department under the Rural Regeneration Fund that coincidentally we only spoke about yesterday. So they haven't been successful in securing funding yet for the Castletown Bear project they are hoping to one day uh, get it because that's a 10 year funding stream and there's a billion in there and, but you know we, we spoke with the county mayor yesterday who was very annoyed only two little over two million has been allocated to Cork in the latest round from the Rural Regeneration Fund but Castletown Bear wasn't included in that so because of that no contractor yet has been uh, appointed 1850 John Paul is taking your calls if you'd like to text or WhatsApp you can 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie now, the annual general meeting of Kildare Community Development scheduled for tonight has been cancelled. That's due to bereavement. The new date is a Thursday of this week at 8 o'clock in Oak Lawn. Faroiga in Formoy are running a Leadership Module 1 programme for 15 to 17 year olds over four days of the midterm. So it's happening across this week. If you'd like more details, contact EMER 086 413 Four triple seven. Linda Hamilton, cognitive behavioural therapist of Kinsale CBT, is in going is in Scannell's Pharmacy in Ballinine today. She's there now. She's there until five o'clock this evening. Is available for group sessions or one to one meetings. Blood Transfusion Service Board. They've got blood donor clinics West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen today and tomorrow, three to five this afternoon and seven to nine on um, both nights. Monster Bingo will be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway tonight. That starts at half past eight. Proceeds going to Tina Bills, a young mother battling stage four breast cancer. 
and the AGM of Duarca Clonakilty Heritage will be held this evening, 8 o'clock, O'Donovan's Hotel. All are welcome to attend. A membership for 2019 will also be accepted. And just a couple of WhatsApps in on the discussion that we had in Castletown Bear and the traffic plan. Uh, Texter says, thanks Patricia, your point is spot on on the councillors simply not listening to businesses. They refuse to listen to our concerns. Well done to Brian, who spoke to a businessman from Castletown Bear. What he is saying is spot on. He is actually saying what every business in town is saying. There appears to be an arrogance by the council and the CDA in not listening to businesses. And lo and behold, a local councillor has contacted us, uh, Paul Hayes, saying, Patricia, following a discussion regarding the proposed new traffic plan for Castletown Bear, I and my colleagues in Cork County Council have met with representatives from both sides of this debate and there's no doubt some common ground can be arrived at if there is a willingness to sit down and thrash out the main sticking points. It's early days yet with this plan and anyone with concerns will have the opportunity to submit objections and observations during the Part A planning process in the future. We won't be able to attract government funding for anything unless we've something written down on paper and that's what we're endeavouring to do in Castletown Bear. Cork County Council is working closely with Fall to Ireland to progress plans for an €8 million Euro interpretive centre and of course the new cable car at Dursey which will also have a knock-on positive effect for the town of Castletown Bear and indeed the wider Bearer region. It's unfortunate that some negative feelings have been whipped up in the community, possibly just for short-term electrical, electoral gain uh, in the upcoming elections. I would again echo calls for both sides to please sit down without further delay to discuss a way forward in a spirit of compromise, goodwill and positivity. All the best. And that's from West Cork Councillor Paul Hayes. OK, let me just leave those comments there for now because I want to move on to a completely different uh, issue. Bridget in Lep has contacted us. Good afternoon to you, Bridget. Good afternoon, Trish. Ah, uh, you've been, well, you have been a victim of a scam, thanks be to God, because no. you, were, you were cute enough. But tell me what's been happening. Is this all happening just this morning? Just this morning. Go on. I got phone, phone rang. The phone rang, got a phone call, an, auto voice, an automated voice answering machine saying, oh, your internet is going to be disconnected if you don't pay your bill. And press one to be put through to the technician. So I knew that that was a scam. I'm sure yourself and John Paul are always saying it, you know, and I know not to take any notice of those, so I didn't. However, about a half an hour later, I got a phone call from this guy purporting to be from air. He was so convincing. Now, Trish, I'm not an easy target. My God, I was nearly sucked in by him. He was telling me that there was a problem with my router and how the router was going to damage all the devices operating off it, how my IP address was going to be compromised, the security was going to be compromised. And he was like, and I even said to him, I'm not happy with this phone call. I said, I need confirmation of who you are and where you're ringing from. Mm. Oh, he was able to give me his ID, his air ID. So I took that down. And then I asked him for his telephone number. Oh, he couldn't give me that, but he was able to give me the telephone number of air. And he called that out. And he even asked me to repeat it back to him to make sure it was correct. And it was. So the conversation was getting a bit heated anyway because he wanted me to be comfortable to go ahead. And I said, but comfortable to go ahead with what? And then he said, look, he said, you're shouting at me. He said, and, you can, and I'm trying to help you. So you can just start off. And he hung up. Oh. Right? However, so that was fine. How up. pleasant of him. So, but I, do you know the way you doubt yourself then? Yeah. So I rang my own service provider. Number one, to know, was there a bill outstanding? She said, no. She said, that's a total scam. And are you with air? 
No. Oh, all right. You are not with air. All right. But you see, you start doubting yourself. I know. Maybe, I know. Is our line with air? And I know. Yeah. with somebody else. Yeah. So I rang my own service provider and she said, that's a total scam. And she said, we would never ring you like that, leaving an automated answering machine to say that you're going to be cut off. We would write you a letter. So then I proceeded to tell her the story of the second phone call. And she herself said that she worked for air and they don't have an ID. And then she asked me to call out the number that he gave me to ring. Mm-hmm. She said, that's not the air number. And when I hung up from her, I rang the number myself and there is no such number. So you but, made up the number? No. So Trish, the point I'm making is that God Almighty, I was nearly sucked in by him. He was so convincing. He, do you think the two calls were linked? The, the, the automated one and the second one? They were within half an hour of each other. They were so close together. Do you have caller ID on your phone? I don't. You don't. Okay, so you weren't. You you couldn't see if they came from the same number. Yeah. And the second guy, did he give you? Did he give you a name? He did. He gave, me, and he was like, he was, he was so forthcoming with all this information. Jason Bulver. Oh, he gave a surname and everything. Yeah, and he he spelt it for me, <laughs> and he gave me his his air ID number, and I wasn't happy with this, and he said he'd send out a technician to me, and they'd be all dressed up, and they'd have their ID with them, and they'd be in uniform. And alarm bells started ringing. Oh my gosh, that could be anybody coming to the door. Yeah, yeah. You know? Did but you pick up an accent? He had broken English. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so you felt the call wasn't wasn't anywhere in Ireland. It wasn't a genuine call, you see. I, I just knew that it wasn't. But at the same time, I mean, I've got scam calls before and you'd know that they're not genuine. But this guy was just so convincing with all the, the information that he willingly gave to me. And, then when I and was he trying to access your computer? You see, he said, if you're comfortable. But I was uncomfortable to do what, Jason? I don't know what you want me to do. So what would have been the next step? I don't know. But I wasn't even comfortable going that far with him, having that conversation with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what he would have done, I don't know. But your fear and the reason you're contacting us to highlight it, somebody not as clued in to these scams, would de- this guy would definitely suck somebody in. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Without, he was so charming. Without a shadow of a doubt, he would. Because as I said to you, I've got scams before and you're always, yourself and John Paul are always saying it about the scams. Mm. And for the most part, you know when it's a scam. Like the first phone call this morning, I knew that was a scam. But this guy, just he just took the biscuit altogether. He was super. Yeah, because the pre-recorded one usually is from Emily. I mean, everyone seems to be getting a call from Emily saying, hi, it's Emily from Air, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she was doing the round, but I don't know whether they've changed, because they keep changing it as well. Do you know what really annoys me about these people? They're so smart and intelligent why can they just not go away and get a job, a proper job? Yeah. And well, use their intelligence had, some other way. This guy had all the lingo for me. My IP address was going to be compromised and the security was, connection was going to be tampered with. He had all the lingo for me. Like he, was, he was well on his game. Well on it. So I was just saying, okay. yeah. And then he told you to sod off? Yeah, because he was supposed he was getting <laughs> over with you. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely annoyed him. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, you know, because you're always putting it out there, I said, look. Well I'm done, well done. Well, well done for sharing it. Okay, Bridget, okay. listen, have a good day. Thanks, Bridget. And, and I won't tell you sod off. Have a very pleasant day, Bridget. <laughs> God bless. Time. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, be careful. There are so many, and they keep changing. Their modus operandi will change every single time and Jason's name will change and he'll have moved on to somebody else but well done uh, Bridget heeding the warnings that we've been given out and keep talking to people because I, I, I very much accept not everybody listens to us but uh, here at C103 but keep talking to people keep telling your neighbours telling your friends you really need to talk to older uh, older fa- and I'll be, I'll be 
I'll read it done now if we've been ageist. But family members who might be a little bit more vulnerable and mightn't understand that they are very dishonest people. People of a certain age have a tendency to be very trusting and don't realise the scam artists that are out there at the moment. I'm sceptical of everybody, I think, because we've come across so many of these uh, scams at this stage. But you need to talk to, talk to your family members, talk to your friends and just make them aware that these scam artists, they're, they're never going away. Somebody else says the, there's numbers ringing uh, coming 7934701 and got two calls from these numbers over the last uh, couple of days 7194698 yeah just yeah just they're, they're all scam calls and those numbers keep changing if you have a smartphone if you're getting those calls on a mobile you are able to block them even though I there was one day I think I blocked six or seven of them and they kept coming in I kept getting other ones and the, the, the type of phone I have you know it'll show the country the Ascension Islands I think I kept getting calls from and I kept blocking them but I, I ended up I must have blocked six or seven of them before they eventually stopped but you can't always do well I don't you can't do it with a landline you certainly can do it with some uh, smartphones but a lot of the scam calls the computer ones in particular are coming to landlines as opposed to your mobiles 1850 going to take a break and with that back chatting with Joe Heffernan Free money Grab your share of five grand with C103 Cash Tracks Every morning at 8.15 Simon will reveal the C103 Superstar of the day Then stay listening for two tracks back to back from that artist When they play be caller 50 to win your share of 5,000 euro C103 Cash Tracks With Cavanaugh's the new name for Ford and Mallow For new and used car sales visit Cavanaugh's.com On the home of Cork's greatest hits C103 This is the Cork Today replay on C103 My texter says one way to sort the internet scam calls is to ask them how they can fix your internet when you don't have a computer. Uh, I did and the phone went dead quick as flash. I presume you could say the same thing if they say that they're calling from air, say, well, I'm not with air or whoever they claim to be from and uh, watch them hang up the phone fairly quickly. 1850 Thank you for your calls and texts. Joe Heffernan joins me. We're going to be discussing obsessive compulsive disorder. Good afternoon to you, um, Joe, and you're welcome to the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Okay, obsessive... I, 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 my recent call was from Microsoft, was supposed it? to be. Yeah, just tell me you don't have a computer. How did you get off the phone? <laughs> no, the second word I said to them was off. Oh, <laughs> okay, and do they get off the phone very quickly? Uh, straight away. There they are, okay. <laughs> okay, right, obsessive compulsive uh, disorder, OCD. I suppose, start by explaining what it is first. Okay, well, it's like the letter say, uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, an obsession of the mind, thoughts, combined with a compulsive act, uh, or as it's often referred to, a uh, ritual. That would be um, the the driver of OCD is anxiety. Now, once we kind of get that nailed down, we can uh, sort of get into what do we do about it. Um, and the anxiety builds about some obsessional thought. Now, we'll we'll take um, a, a very um, uh, straightforward example like uh, washing uh, compulsive washing say of the hands um, the thought would be I have handled something 
which is contaminated. I have handled something that has uh, dirt or germs or whatever. And, and it's I, the one that you hear about is probably most common. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that would be, I think, the most common one. Um, so then uh, the anxiety builds. And uh, it builds and builds until the OCD person relieves it by the washing. Now, um, you'd say, well, that doesn't sound like something terribly, awfully bad. But the point is that I remember a young lady um, that I was talking with uh, many years ago. And uh, the skin on her hands was literally chapped and uh, red raw uh, from washing, washing, washing. Yeah. yeah, so it's not just like, I mean, we all will wash our hands before a meal or after being to the bathroom, and that's fair enough. I mean, that's logical. But um, it can be then, with a person with OCD, a different a different kettle of fish altogether, and uh, it can become, um, uh, you know, affecting one's daily life. Um, they're washing, washing, washing. Or um, the other ones, like, for example, uh, the contamination one, um, as you say, and I quite agree, would be uh, quite common. Now, the other one would be um, what's known as, we'll say, a pathological doubt or a checking, a checking compulsion um, uh, in order to prevent. Now, it's always to prevent a catastrophe. It's never like to just, I mean, we'll all check our front door, I hope. But um, this is like back again and again and again. It's like getting up at 3 a.m. to check electrical appliances. Um, And it's coming back four, five times, six times, seven times to check the front door before leaving uh, home. And then when one is away from home, even after doing all that, starting to worry, I think I might have left the door open. To so, the point that somebody can be on a journey halfway into the journey and will turn around and go back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one young lady I was talking with um, would use her phone to photograph the plugs and things and if she was for a night out at the um, we'll say a nightclub or whatever um uh, she would uh, compulsively check her phone, which would reassure her, yeah, that's plugged out. No question about it. I'm looking at it. Um, we, you know, uh, so that um, it, it, it can become, um, it, it can have a very um, negative effect on one's daily life. Another one would be um, uh, kind of repetitive thoughts. Now, um, in in the sort of uh, terminology of OCD, um, you'd have w- w- what might be known as thinkers and counters. And usually this would be um, a, a, a thinking compulsion in order to counteract the anxiety then. Um, they, they need to recall events in detail or even repeat a list as a way to ensure safety. Now, that would be a thinking thing. Um, oh, let me just think for a second. Yes, um, 
you know, for example, uh, into this would come older. This is more with a compulsive act would be accounting. Um, that could be like um, uh, 19 forks, 24 knives, um, uh, 10 small spoons, um, etc. And that these would be counted. And when the anxiety would build, the counting would be done as the ritual to bring down the uh, the feelings of anxiety. Um, and you see, uh, to a person who doesn't suffer from OCD, um, this is very hard to get one's head around. Yeah, it seems bizarre. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. You know, people will jokingly say, oh, I'm OCD about it, you know, in yeah. the way that I like to arrange things. But what we're talking about here is on a completely different level. And I'm surprised to see you've got hoarders down. Is that a form of OCD? Yes. Is it? Um, No, I mean, again, extreme. Um, Just to say one thing there, there is a condition that is known as OCPD. um, Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder. Now, that's what we'll call a sort of quite a mild, mild, mild form of OCD, or even maybe one shouldn't associate it. Um, If I look out the window in the morning, there are panels on the window. Mm. And if the curtain on one side is a foot outside the panel, and the one on the left is on the panel, maybe I'm talking myself into trouble here now, um, I'd kind of think, ah, you know, let's straighten them up. Yeah. And I would. Yeah. And... um, uh, you know, uh, right, that kind of thing. Um, uh, laying out the uh, the the mats, say for dinner. Um, we'd say if the lads were around and we had four place settings, you know, I'd be having <laughs> I'd be having them aligned with the side yeah. of the edge of the table, and uh, the the little drinks coaster would be at the top right-hand side kind of thing. Now, they, you know, my life isn't going to be ran by that. But, um, you know, so one wouldn't want to... You'd hear people saying as well, I have a touch of OCD. Yeah. If a person has OCD, they have something very quite different. serious. Yeah, it's it's very, very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can it... Does it come on? Is it a slow progression? What causes it? Well, there's loads of ideas about the causes. Um, one, like, would be that it's a learned behaviour uh, um, uh, that one uh, learns that this particular um, action relieves the um, the anxiety. So, like, that's a learned behaviour. Now, uh, another explanation that one hears about is a sort of a biological basis that that um, abnormalities in certain, we'll say, neurotransmitters uh, may be involved, particularly serotonin. Um, uh, um, and that altered levels of serotonin are thought to be an important factor in people suffering from OCD. Now, that results in the medical profession very often and um, very effectively would uh, prescribe antidepressants, um, SSRIs. So that would mean that um, 
you know, the serotonin levels would be altered and that this would help. Um, uh, there can be homes where everything is anxiety-driven. I remember talking with a young lady um, years ago and um, I met her parents and, you know, the parents were highly, highly, highly anxious and I could imagine that the home was, um, you know, there was anxiety almost in the air. Mm. So that that, that could be a link. Yeah, and Um, can a life event trigger it? Like a traumatic life event? When you think of it, you see, a, a trauma will set off um, avoidance, intrusion, hypervigilance, anxiety-driven uh, things. So there's, um, yeah, I mean, could uh, it, it could be that, that one could uh, trace it back. Um, um, and then sometimes you'll never discover why. No. Yeah. Somebody says, somebody says, is there any help for somebody who checks the doors? 20 times or more checks the front door now that's exactly what you're talking that's about exactly that's exactly what I'm that's talking about that's intrusive that's intruding in the person's life exactly exactly and um, uh, there's a, there's often a link with depression and there's often a link with um, lower self-esteem so like those are the kind of if you like angles uh, where people in my line of work would be coming at in uh, trying to help someone with with uh, OCD, um, often a combination. Uh, sometimes um, a person would say to me that the the doctor had prescribed antidepressants, and that would work extremely well with the combination of um, psychotherapy. So that, like the combination of the two. Um, would would often be um, helpful. Um, so uh, some people, you see, would be anti-medication and some people would be saying that psychotherapy isn't the thing. But, I mean, the extremes are never correct. Somewhere in the middle, often the combination of the two would, would be the way to go. Um, so... Uh, the, the, one of the points I'd often make is that, like, we can't control our feelings. And God knows at times we haven't much control over our thoughts. Thoughts come and go. Um, but we do have control over behaviour. So that very often relaxation exercises combined with psychotherapy and maybe medication uh, might be a very good way um, to go. Um, another thing that one might do with OCD would be to kind of postpone the behavioural part where we do have control. Like, um, even if a person was going to say, yeah, yeah, I need to, I will wash my hands, to say, but I'll wait 10 minutes. Um, and, uh, and like you know, that, slowly, that, that person slowly, that can become that's the person that's an hour. The, huh? the, the checking the door for somebody to say, OK, I'm going to check the door, but I'll wait. I'll wait 10 minutes, I'll wait 15 minutes. Yes. Yes, and eventually then um, to be able to overcome one's anxiety by, say, a breathing exercises. In other words, like sitting in the car, am I going to go back and check again? Do you know what? I'm not. I'm going to do my breathing exercise. 
I'm going to relax my body and hence my mind. And um, I'm I'm going to uh, work at it that way. Um, uh, another way of dealing with some of the aspects of OCD would be what one would call exposure therapy. In other words, um, uh, you know, experiencing some um, uh, action or something that uh, brings on the worry, but then not going with the uh, with the ritual to relieve it. In other words, like I'm going to handle that doorknob. I'm going to open the door, I'm going to close it, and I won't be washing my hands just yet. Um, you know, um, it's, um, it's, it's a difficult and complicated uh, condition, and I suppose uh, it's fair to say that it isn't going to be, uh, whatever the word would be, cured, alleviated um, overnight. Um, there's a good book on it called quite simply, Overcoming Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, a self-help guide using cognitive behavioral techniques. That's by David Veal and Rob Wilson, the Wilson with two L's in the middle. Um, there's a very interesting book I was looking at called The Man Who Couldn't Stop. It's by a person called David Adam. Now, David Adam is a highly qualified um, uh, scientist um, and uh, he suffered from OCD for 20 years wow. and it was he wrote The Man Who Couldn't Stop and it has a lot of insights and it's very well written um, I, I have for quite a long while dipped in and out of it um, you know so that there'd be two books that maybe well, that you'd recommend I would. and I think uh, books like that that have come from the viewpoint of somebody who's been there done it bought the t-shirt people have a tendency to be able to identify with that person absolutely then. Okay. and I mean someone who has been through the wood yeah. um, and, and, and come the out the other side yeah alright ok we leave it there Joe thank you for that thanks Patricia have a lovely week and we'll chat again next week that is Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui his number is 0297661017 just a quick couple of check over some of your last the texts coming in uh, Mick in Cork says hi Patricia on bogus calls I keep a whistle hanging on the wall next to the landline and use it both on the landline and on the mobile phone they're very quick to hang up them Another text to this is on abortion says given that the only post-abortion support has been given by pro-life groups Gina Care have already held public meetings in Blackpool in Cork to set up this service the majority of abortions are due to socio-economic reasons not fatal fetal dis- fatal fetal abnormalities women need support Simon Harris can't suppress people who want to support uh, others says a texter and someone else says when we were talking about the the consultant for Castletown Bear somebody says I think they mean the consultants who drew up the plans are the same as the ones used for the children's hospital okay thank you for that I thought but they said contractor okay that's what I leave you for today thanks to John Paul talk to you tomorrow at 10 When we play two songs together from the superstar of the day. C103 Cash Tracks. With Kavanaugh's, the new name for Ford and Mallow. For new and used car sales, visit Kavanaugh's.com. On the home of Cork.
Pembroke's Greatest Hits. C103. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 